we haven't met before, my name's Steve Collard. When my wife Lydia and I first started attending Lakeside Bible Chapel back in 1991, um, we had three small children. They were ages four and two, and the youngest one was actually in the NICU at the time. She was only about a month old. She'd been born three months early, and she was in the hospital for a while. We didn't really know anyone when we walked through that door for the first time. There was an elder on the leadership team at that time by the name of Al Flem. If you didn't know Al, there were certain details that might alarm you about him. Uh, he would shake your hand so hard you thought your circulation was being cut off. And then you'd notice at first that he was missing a finger or two on his right hand. And you wondered, you know, was he a criminal or something? Did he lose, lose his fingers in a fight? What, who was this guy? And then he spoke to you in a really gravelly, low voice. And I was practicing it yesterday, and I think I messed my voice up because I'm <laughs> sounding a little bit like Al today. But he would, you know, talk to you in this low voice, and he thought, wow, it kind of fits the mafia persona, you know. And then he was not flashy. He drove a large sedan, and you might think, well, he's pretty well off, kind of fits the profile, fits the mob profile. So in one of those early services with my small children, one of them started to cry and make some noise. After the service, this stern-looking elder, Al, walked up to me, and I thought, maybe I was in trouble And after asking me if everything was all right, Al said to me, there's three things that I like to hear in church. I like to hear a baby crying, and I like to hear a coin hitting the collection plate, and I like to hear a child pray. And I know I'm dating myself with that quote because although giving's still a thing, collection plates are kind of gone, and you might not get that one, but that was... uh, Definitely something that set me at ease, that Al came up to me and made me feel at home with small children and said it made him happy because he knew the family was in church. And so what I came to learn is that the details about Al weren't what was important. They'd kind of led me to the wrong conclusions. Yes, he had missing fingers, he had a gravelly voice, but I found out he was one of the most compassionate people that I ever met. He was the kind of person that if you had a need, he would help you with it. If he said he would pray for you, he would pray for you. And on the, even though he was an executive at an auto supplier, he spent his vacations working in the kitchen at a summer camp. That's, that's who Al was. And he baptized me, and I had the joy of serving on the elder board with him for a while. And the lesson I learned is you can pay attention to details and get the wrong impression about the main point. And I tell that story to talk about our our story today, that we don't want to miss the main point of it. It's one of the best-known miracles of Jesus. Matthew 14 is where we're headed in our series, Who is Jesus? And in this story, he multiplied five loaves, two fish, fed thousands of people. And there was still food left over. The miracle is recorded in each gospel. Matthew 14, Mark 6, Luke 9, 
John 6. Often, like I did with Al, you can focus on some of the details and miss the point. What's the significance of five loaves and two fish? Why are 5,000 men mentioned, but the women and children aren't counted? Why does one gospel make the point that they sat in groups of 50 and 100? Why did Mark make the point that they sat on green grass? What's the significant thing about 12 baskets of food? And we could read all those details and speculate on what they are meaning and there might be some value in that, but I don't want to miss the big point. And the big idea of the story is that Jesus is compassionate and he wants us to be compassionate too. So let's dive into Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14. Remember last week, Nate covered uh, the story of King Herod executing John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was a cousin of Jesus, but really more than that, he prepared the way for Jesus' arrival. He baptized Jesus. He was his friend. So after his disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, buried John the Baptist, they came and told Jesus about it. And that's where we pick up this week in verse 13, Matthew 14, 13. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. So Jesus had compassion on them. So our first point today is that as his followers, we should be compassionate. You can imagine why Jesus was looking for some peace and quiet. I mean, just thinking of the story and how he found out John the Baptist. Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully human. The death of someone close to him was difficult. He withdrew. He needed rest. Yet the crowds still were finding a way to follow him. And when they tracked him down, when he got off the boat, it says he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. Compassion requires not just a stirring of the heart. It requires action on our part. The Bible contains many instances of Jesus showing compassion, particularly when someone has died. Luke 7 talks about a widow's son whom he raised back to life. In John 11, we see him weeping at the death of his friend Lazarus, whom he raised back to life. So here in our chapter, with so many people in need, Jesus' heart of compassion is stirred again. I was interested in the literary origin of the word compassion. It talks about it being a Latin root, two words, which mean with and suffering. So really, to have compassion means a suffering with another. That's what we do when we show compassion. Suffer with another. 
And even though Jesus is experiencing grief from John the Baptist's death, even though he's exhausted from all of the work, he shows compassion. He heals the sick. So what does that teach us about how compassion works? Jesus showed the importance of rest when he got into the boat. He sought some personal refuge, but he also demonstrated for us that compassion needs to be shown even when we're hurting, even when we're exhausted, even when it's inconvenient. We're going to be like Jesus at these critical times. We come alongside another who is hurting, and we suffer with them. That's what showing compassion is about. Author William Barclay nailed it and wrote this. The most tremendous thing about Jesus was that he taught men and women what God was like by showing them what God was like. He did not tell them God cared. He showed them that God cared. There's little use in preaching the love of God in words without showing the love of God in action. So our first question we might ask ourselves this morning, looking at Jesus' example, is how have I shown that compassion is important to me? How have I done that? When we're going through a difficult time, we may say, you know, we need our space. We may be closed for business while we deal with our own problems. I remember a couple years ago when my brother Kevin entered hospice care, Kevin had been a radio producer, and he knew quite a few well-known Christian music artists. And many of them sent uh, messages of encouragement to him as he was facing terminal cancer. And one that impressed me was a greeting that he got from Christian musician Mylon Lefebvre. Because when Mylon sent it, he was facing his own health issues, and he passed away last year, not that long after Kevin In his message, he thanks Kevin for serving God and reminded him that God is faithful, that God is true. And he ended his message with, God bless you, my brother, I'll see you in heaven. And that meant so much to Kevin. Mylon could have said, look, I'm dealing with my own issues. You know, I don't have time to call a guy who is, you know, dying To me, his compassion in making that call or that message for Kevin exemplified some beautiful verses that Paul the Apostle wrote. We just look at those quickly in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. They read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction." so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So Mylon had been through some tough times, and in those times he found his comfort in God. And rather than use his tough times as an excuse to withdraw, he found that God worked in his life so he could speak comfort into Kevin's life in his difficult days And though there were tears as Kevin listened to Mylon's message, it was a beautiful moment. And this is the way of Jesus, to be compassionate. 
So if Jesus is a compassionate king and I'm following him, how can I show the love of Jesus to someone who's going through a difficult time right now? Take a moment and think about it. Jot down a note. How can you be compassionate in both words and action? So our story doesn't end with Jesus having compassion on those who were sick. It takes another turn as the day goes on. So we're going to go back to our passage, Matthew 14, verse 15. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we only have five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. So at this point in the story, his disciples are not exhibiting compassion or faith. This is what I often tend to do, to be perfectly honest. They looked at the facts as they knew them. It's late. We're far from civilization. This crowd's a huge burden. We don't have any food. They concluded there was nothing that they could do for them. Send them away. I'm sure you probably noticed many of the houses in our neighborhoods, at least around my area of Sterling Heights, a lot of them have a sign on the porch. It says, welcome. Seems like Hobby Lobby had a big sale or something because uh, they're all over my neighborhood, and it makes me happy to see them, to be honest. A couple weeks ago, as I was walking down my street, I saw this sign on my neighbor's porch, go away. (laughs) You know, maybe it's a joke, but it made me sad. And this is the sign the disciples put out, send them away, go away. How often do we have good intentions, but then we decide it's, it's not the right time, it's not the right place. I can't serve God right now. We don't feel up to the task. We underestimate the positive influence God can have through us. Jesus is about to teach the disciples a life lesson. They asked him to send the people away, but Jesus does not comply with their wishes. In verse 16, he said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. I would love to have seen their faces or have heard their comments. Can you believe that? Jesus said that. We're supposed to give them something to eat. Imagine that. Disciples had already recognized their own insufficiency to meet this challenge. That wasn't the lesson that we're being taught here. They'd already taken inventory, five loaves, two fish. In their eyes, it was game over. Send them away. But Jesus said, it's not game over. It's time for you to get in the game. And so that's our second point from the story is get in the game. You give them something to eat. Perhaps there are times that we're not as direct as the disciples were and we don't wish people would go away, but we say, I'll pray for you. Maybe we don't pray. Maybe we say, I'll be thinking of you, or I wish you good vibes. Thoughts and prayers are good, 
but they're not, if they're not accompanied by action, they can come across as hollow and meaningless. We may feel insufficient, just like the disciples did, but that's not the point here. Jesus was sufficient. That was the point. Jesus had the power to solve this problem, and they had forgotten that. Earlier in our study of Matthew, uh, back in chapter 4, Jesus was tempted by Satan. And if you recall, even Satan knew that Jesus had the power to create loaves of bread. His own disciples forgot that. As people of Israel, surely the disciples had heard the stories of how God fed his people in the desert, sending manna, heavenly food. God didn't even need people to distribute it. It was better than DoorDash. It was right outside your door. It came to everyone at once. They forgot about that. This point applies to us in our lives today. Jesus is more than sufficient to solve the problems we face. Often he not only provides what we need, but he uses us to meet the needs of others. Look exactly at what the disciples did. He didn't require them to perform the miracle. They didn't have to do that part. Verse 18, when they told Jesus what they did have, the five loaves and two fish, he said, bring them here to me. We have the opportunity to say to the Lord what his disciples said. I only have this much, Lord. Only this much talent. Only this much money, only these resources, only this much strength, only this much time. I'm tired. I'm worn out. And Jesus says to us, bring them here to me. The disciples' first task was to be compassionate like Jesus, our compassionate king, not to send people away, not to throw their hands up and say, we can't do anything for the problems of these people. Their second task was to assess what they did have and bring it to Jesus. That's what he asks us to do. Jesus actually supplies what is needed, but he asks us to bring what we have. As his followers, compassion should characterize who we are. Look at the encouragement we receive through Paul the Apostle in Colossians chapter 3. These are his instructions to Christians. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. If we're following Jesus and we're living our lives for him, we should be characterized by compassion. Really appreciated how authors Dale and Tamara Chamberlain explained what Paul meant about putting on compassionate hearts. Take a listen to this uh, note from their book. What you wear says a lot about who you are 
It shows what you value, what you like, and how you want to be seen by the world. Like the physical clothing you put on, the intangible attributes you choose to adorn your life with also show a lot about who you are. That's why Paul calls us to clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. What do the clothes I'm wearing say about me as a person? Today I wore the subtle lion's shirt. <laughs> and I didn't want to wear a jersey and give the impression, you know, it's the most important thing in my life. But I want to identify with the lions. They're winners, right? They're cool at the moment, right? Like the quote said, what I put on shows what I value, what I like. How I want to be seen by the world. Today it's as a Lions fan and not as a Packers fan like our lead pastor Nate. I don't want to be seen like that. Paul said as Christians, we should wear compassion like clothing. Get that point? That tells people who we follow and what we value. You know, for over 30 years, I worked at a hospital, and I remember one of our leaders impressing on our team that patients in our hospital mattered more than anything else. Making them well was value number one. So if we were late to a meeting, and the reason is because we were helping a patient or helping a patient's family, all was forgiven didn't matter that we were late. Being on time for a staff meeting wasn't as important as helping a patient. That's living your values. That's putting on a behavior like clothing. And so Paul's number one thing for us to wear is compassionate hearts. Because we're following Jesus, the compassionate king. Because That's what we value. I mentioned Dale and Tamara Chamberlain a couple of minutes ago. I really appreciate a book they wrote. It's called Practicing Christian Compassion. And it contains 50 devotionals about ways to embody God's love in your daily life. So you kind of take your time going through that book, and it makes you think. And the book places great emphasis on showing compassion in the local community and the global community. One of the other things that it focuses on that really made me think was showing compassion to your family, to your friends, to your co-workers. A lot of times we only think compassion's about helping a certain group or someone we pass on the street that's begging. And I hate to admit that sometimes it's the people who are the closest to us who get to see the worst of us. And perhaps I didn't think about this aspect of compassion, but they ask in their book this question, and it made me think, do you regularly exercise empathy in relationships with family members you disagree with? Or are you cold with them? Do you give them the silent treatment or act passive aggressively whenever a disagreement crops up? Do you withhold affection when they express an opinion that's different? From yours? 
And so this is also what it means to show compassion, to have a compassionate heart to those close to me when I'm otherwise tired and cranky. And so they reminded me sometimes a lot of the conversation at supper with my family can be made up of me picking apart flaws of my coworkers, going over what really annoyed me today. And spoke to me, they wrote this, in order for compassion to be a part of the culture of your household, it needs to constantly be a part of the conversation of your household. So that really spoke to me. And so I have this question for you and for me as well. In what way could I do a better job of wearing the compassion of Jesus in my home, school, or workplace? So Jesus didn't accept the disciples' invitation to send the people away. He asked them to get into the game. And when they did, this amazing thing happened, which was starting at verse 19. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about five thousand men besides women and children. So from this part of the story is really our third point. Jesus is the one that we can trust to supply our needs. He demonstrated compassion. He asked the disciples to trust him by bringing what they had. He took what had been enough to feed a boy a lunch and fed 5,000 men and their families. That was a miracle. The disciples didn't have to do that. They just had to get into the game, bring to Jesus what they had, and then distribute the food to the needy. And to find joy in seeing that there was so much left over. That was their part. Verse 20, and they all ate and were satisfied. This is the kind of Savior Jesus is. How often do I forget that Jesus is able and willing to meet me in my moments of need? How often do I choose just to exist alongside other people when I could, by faith, be caring for them with resources that Jesus supplies? It's one thing to be amazed at how God provided and then return to worrying for the next thing. So much better to remember that he provided next time instead of worrying, instead of withdrawing, I actually reach out in faith and trust him. I'm kind of like the disciples in that I I don't need a lesson about how inadequate I am for many of the challenges I face. I need some faith. I need to keep my eyes on Jesus. I don't know where you are in your life's journey, what brought you here today, but we've been studying the Bible in a way that says, who is Jesus? And this is what we have not found. A self-help plan. 
We've all tried to live our life on our own and found that we're unable to sustain our own efforts. In fact, despite the efforts, many of us have failed at life in many ways. We have not found a group of people that can help turn our lives around. Now, having people around us who support us is helpful, but we let each other down. That's not the total answer. We haven't found a system of life principles that puts us on the road to financial independence. We have not found that Jesus teaches health and wealth. What we've found as we study the Bible and we ask this question, who is Jesus? Is that Jesus is a person who was compassionate, who healed the sick, a person who wept with those who were grieving, a person who embraced people who others had labeled as worthless losers, someone who ultimately gave his life to meet our greatest need that we might be forgiven by God for all the wrong things that we have done. And he rose from the dead that we might have eternal life. Author David Platt put it this way, Jesus isn't simply the one who gives what satisfies. He is the one who satisfies. So after Jesus fed the 5,000 in John's Gospel, chapter 6, this is what Jesus said, John 6, 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And then in verse 40, he said, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So I ask you, are you hungry? Not for bread, but for a life worth living. Hungry for a relationship with the God who made you and loves you. Have you ever prayed to Jesus and asked him to save you? Do you know him? Do you have a personal relationship with him? He invites you to trust him. He's the bread of life. John 6, 37 says, Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I'm going to pray in a moment and invite you to put your trust in him today if you have not done that yet. Quick recap of our uh, passage today. Jesus is compassionate, and he wants us to be compassionate too. How have I shown that compassion is important to me? How can I show the love of Jesus to someone who's going through a difficult time right now? In what way could I do a better job of wearing the compassion of Jesus in my home, school, or workplace? These are all searching questions for me personally. What a great passage for us to think about and see how the disciples learn this lesson. The last one is, have you put your faith in Jesus? 
Remember what David Platt wrote? Jesus isn't simply the one who gives what satisfies. He's the one who satisfies. And so I invite you to know him, to put your trust in him. Let's just pray. Lord, we thank you for this passage. Help us to see how you showed compassion to us, how you can meet our needs. Help us to be like you in this respect. Help us to be able to demonstrate to others the kind of love you showed to us. So Lord, we just ask for help in doing this as as individuals, as a church family. Help us to be compassionate. Help us to wear compassion, have compassionate hearts. Lord, if there's anyone here today who doesn't know you, who hasn't yet turned their life over to you by placing their trust in you, by obeying your word, to simply believe. We pray for them right now that they might be able to own as each of us have that we're sinners. We need you. We need you to save us. Thank you for dying on the cross and rising again. Thank you that you came to show us what life really is all about and to help us live these lives that you've given to us. We do pray this in your worthy and precious name, Lord Jesus.